0: Hey everyone, welcome back to There Goes My Brain Again and the third and final part of the audiobook for Maple Dorm Trinket, supposedly Dreams and Rainbows. I'll be reading the last chapter, Omega Bet, which is my name for the backwards alphabet, and the afterword which moves forward through time in a hurry and then back again with some local references to Port Jeff and Bridgeport. Um, So without further delay, let's see what happens when Maple Dorm gets his wish. Or doesn't get his wish. Chapter 5. Omega Bet Love is the closest thing to laughter and the closest thing to tears. Love is the motive power of everything in the universe that has beauty in it. Love is the reason for everything and the reward for everything. Harold Clayton Lloyd, Sr. Boxing Day, 1931, St. James, New York For two years and one day, Maple Doran performed nightly as the triumphant and secretive lap magician. He became so precise in his napkin-lifting he added the skills of a trapeze artist to his arsenal to keep his act challenging. Using a small bundle of toothpicks and fishing wire, the apparatus allowed him to swoop down to the floor if necessary, and it was necessary if a desired dish was on the ever-changing menu, and at the same time under the barstool. While his ambition to be an oral surgeon had waned long ago, his tongue had earned a degree in culinary sensations. When he was presented to the stage, or more accurately, the catwalk, the voice that echoed in his head, now proclaimed, Ladies and gentlemen, put your palms together for, wait, on second thought, keep your hands on your lap, well, what matter will it be, for the one, the only, the undeniable and unidentifiable, the understated and oversatiated, swinging savant, I present the convivant. His audience was unaware they were witnessing a show. Maple Dorm's two-year tenure wasn't without error. During a lull in the conversations, he almost lost his sublimity and title when he unknowingly licked an habanero pepper flake. His eyes watered most of the houseplants in town. His face turned as red as a shy communist in a flower field of bleeding hearts, and his mouth wanted to... Uh, but ever the Stoic magician... Mabel Dorham held his decorum. There were other areas of concern. He had to have an eye and an ear out for the guests who actually did use their dinner napkins as a sneeze snatcher. Mabel Dorham had found a few surprises that weren't on the menu, and it destroyed his appetite for minutes on end. There were also numerous times when a guest would attempt to double dab, going back to tidy their mouth just moments after thinking they'd completed the job the first time. To swipe their napkin in between dabs would cause suspicion to rise. Mapledorm heard all of the restaurant gossip and knew more about the chef than he cared to, but he was surprised at the frequency with which diners asked for another napkin never pushed back the hairlines of the staff. He figured the servers and busboys were likely too busy to notice, and the guests were too devoted to the meal to care. Mapledorm was proactive, opting to be cautious by implementing a more precarious scheme. So adept he was, he began to incorporate the switcheroo, bringing back a fresh linen square to the guests before they knew it had been missing in the first place. True, he wanted to give back to the community of unaware benefactors, but he was also being selfish, as the linens were a renewable resource for the next spread. Maple perked up when the menu was on the messy side. On an evening he held quite dear to his little covetous heart, The first course included crumbly croissants twice buttered with sweet tomato jam. Maple Dorm also salivated when customers came in talking dirty to one another. For example, if he heard a man apologize ahead of time to his date that he would be acting like a ravenous beast when the filet mignon with cuvee mignonette arrived, Maple Dorm would become a steak stalker suspended from the scaffolding. Or if his date mentioned that she was feeling more stuffed than the turkey in front of her, he anticipated the possibility of an untouched bite hidden in the folds of her napkin. Blown appetite! But, even with the success of his private circus act, something was eating at him. It wasn't merely flicking its tongue in his direction, it was taking bites out of him from the inside. Hearing terms like sweet pea, sweetie pie, honey pie, buttercup, sugar, pumpkin, peaches, and cupcake didn't make Mapledorm the least bit interested in having another dessert. It made him sad. He wished to be with someone, too. Whether side by side at a bar counter, or face to face at a table, Mapledorm wanted to whisper those sweet somethings into a pretty woman's ear, and make her smile. And that would make him smile. And perhaps all would be as right as rain in the world, even for a moment. Now... A discerning reader of this story may be wondering if this were truly the case. Did Mapledorum wish for love when he was in the presence of Miss Mississippi? Perhaps earlier, a reader of this story may have assumed that Mapledorum wished to be taller, quite a bit taller, but that is not what he wished for. Mapledorum wished to be smaller. In the period when he was surrounded by only profound loneliness, he wished that he would become so small that he wouldn't exist at all. He at least wished to be small enough to climb into a bottle of moonshine and drown himself in liquid death. He wanted to stop trying to move forward on the unicycle of life, feeling as though he only knew how to climb up to the seat or fall all the way to the underground. Mapledorm was, without a doubt, down and out. Now after two circuits of the earth, he feels inside out. His heart is not only worn on his sleeve, His aortic fluid is splashed all over his white linen suit. Maple Dorm tries to remember that a circular path is the longest way to get back to where you started. He thinks back to the time in his life when he took a path tangent to New York City. It was after he sat at the table opposite Miss Mississippi. He would like to see her again, but Maple Dorm realizes she is not here. Furthermore, with all of her glasses and gloves, her swirling robe, and the low lighting, he didn't really see her, and she really didn't see him. But Mapledorum believes they both saw each other, but that's as far as he wants to think about it. What Mapledorum wants to think about is his wish, or more specifically, the intention of his wish. So he looks up to the bottle with three X's on the top shelf. He knows he can't get inside of it, but he can put its contents inside of him. That would do the trick. He'll disappear into the clear. Isn't that how a magician should leave his audience? But he hasn't looked at that bottle since he read the cryptic words on the back. It was the only spirit that had ever haunted him. Ridden with the sudden and desperate thrill of bowing out from the stage for the last time, Mabledorn begins the ascent to reach his demise. He thinks that even if the alcohol doesn't stop the pitter-pat in his ribcage, the landing surely will. But as he tilts the bottle... It rotates in such a way where Mapledorm finds himself holding each end of the back label, as if stretching his arms out to read a scroll. It feels like it's his own eulogy. He senses the tulips rising not above him, but within him. It's as if a smaller version of himself had been pine-boxed and buried in his heart. Whatever it is, it's telling him something he can't hear, but he can feel. Mapledorum props the bottle back to its full height, At this exact moment, a motor car pulls up and parks in front of the restaurant. It's quite an unusual time for any activity outside his own little world. The headlamps from the vehicle twinkle against the glass and refract into a million sparkles of light. He looks around and up at the kaleidoscope of hope surrounding him. It's the first instance, after all this time supposedly spent in rainbows, that he looked at the ceiling. Its color is a shade close to indigo, but it's not something he can name. Maple Mappledorum has an epiphany. The moonshine is now his sunshine. Standing on the top shelf, the performer inside Maple Mappledorum has taken the stage once again. He looks down at his audience of none. He shakes his head. If this is his circus, he's the animal that put himself in his own cage. It's the only barred room that can be destroyed with memories. Knowing this, he reflects on the struggles of the colorful characters of the circus that helped raise him. Maple Dorm learned from them, was cared for by them, and loved them. In between performances, everyone dispersed into the town to attend to personal matters. Most of the time, it was for the simple pleasures of tasting the local cuisine, reading a book in the park, or going to a church to pray. Some of the time, it may have been to visit a doctor to ask about the rarity of their particular oddity. Cavity Patty, the woman born with upside-down teeth, Sought out the dentist in every town across the continent. Pineapple Head Boy, his name unfortunately and plainly accurate, had optometrists looking the other way while he looked every way. Pineapples have a lot of eyes, don't you know? Topsy Curvy, the woman with breasts shaped like ampersands, kept her feelers out for reconstructive surgeons and and curious semioticians. Jake the Ache. The young man, with a third foot hanging between his legs, inquired with both the preeminent urologists and podiatrists of the day. For purposes of civility, and to match the one suit he owned, he was fitted for a single, yet very comfortable, Oxford shoe. The salesman remarked about the irony that his foot wasn't technically a foot long. Jake, an astute wordsmith, pointed out that every foot is indeed, by definition, a foot long. The salesman gave him the shoe for free. For what it's worth, he found the left one more amenable. Clutterfingers, a girl with a small hand on the end of each of her 10 fingers, poked around town in search of philosophers. She wanted to know whether she had 50 fingers or 60. Maple Dorham remembered that Do Re Mi, the three-headed songstress, had issues with both hairdressers and priests. These are groups that don't typically share a Venn diagram. The issues with the hairdressers revolved around pricing, Were there listed service costs for one person, or for one head? The priests were presented with more of a theological dilemma. The conventional opinion was that she was born with a condition tucked by the hot hand of Lucifer. But the fact that she was also the physical embodiment of the cornerstone equation of Christian mathematics, 3 equals 1, caused the priests to scratch their collective heads into a blizzard of dandruff. Thus, in the cathedrals, she sang alone. Or rather, she sang together. Or maybe she sang. never mind. See? Medical practitioners, pious preachers, and professionals aside, when the circus members left their locomotive abodes and went out in public, they were treated with scorn. They were stared at with shielded eyes and covered gasps. No one wanted to see them living in harmony in the land of the supposedly free. But the hypocrisy emerged as soon as they appeared in costume or were stationed in dark tents to be viewed for enjoyment, for it was then acceptable to ogle, point, and laugh at the lineup of the freak show. Now they were performers, accidental comedians, a visual picnic for family entertainment. And not only were they deemed acceptable, the masses paid with their own earnings, possibly as a penance for their ignorant judgments, to make it so. To be truly accepted for who one is, the exchange of money is the antithesis of sincerity. In other words, There are no checking accounts opened in the denomination of self-worth. Well, with that, the bars to Maple Dorm's cage have been stretched out, and he feels free to leave. So free, he starts singing one of the new songs that he's heard playing on the radio when the chef is preparing his menu for the night. He belts out the chorus, Dream a little dream of me. The other cage with an opening is made of Maple Dorm's ribs. So he pulls his heart off his sleeve and puts it back in its home. He also takes off his suit and wrings out the aortic fluid into a jigger behind the bar. He pours it back into his body for a shot of self-love. He's no longer down and out, nor is he inside out. Maple is outside in. So now he grins and takes an exaggerated and straight-legged step off the ledge. Then he turns his body around. Grabs the ledge with his hands and climbs back down to safety. Mapledorum sleeps soundlessly on his bed of sponges, soaking up his renewed sense of self. The show must go on for Mapledorum, the Lat magician, the con vivant. New Year's Day, 1932, St. James, New York. Several days after his return to triumph, Mapledorum rises in the morning after his nightly vacation with the cousin of death. Now, when he looks up and sees the XXX on the top shelf, he smiles. On this morning, his grin is wider than usual, because today is his birthday. It's a new year for both Maple Dorham and the entire planet. He thinks about taking off his linen suit and exchanging it for his birthday suit, but he decides to remain a gentleman. During dinner service, Maple Dorham is in full swing, swooping and swiping at will. But something causes his heart, and his trapeze, to freeze. There's a new pair of dangling legs that are next to an empty barstool. Upon the barstool beside the legs is a pile of glasses, gloves, and cotton balls. He counts seven pairs of each. He hums to himself the initials of the mystic in his presence, followed by her name. Mmm, it's mm, Missy, Mississippi. He can't see her face, which is nothing new, but he knows it is the she and only. Mapledorm imagines that she knows he is there, and it's in this moment that he starts to believe that his wish may come true, and he doesn't try to fight it. He had a twinkle of an idea just days ago. He'd hoped he could see her, but she was not there. Her words echoed in his cranium. There is something you must do. You'll know what it is when it is not there. And like a cryptographer acting on instinct, Mabledorm knew what he must do. He had to kiss her. It turns out that Miss Mississippi was the first real woman he felt he could kiss. Perhaps it's because he was sitting across from her, or at times standing across from her, and he was fixated on her lips. They were also the only part of her skin that was bare but fixated he was on the two lips. The two lips. Oh yes, the two lips were about to rise indeed. Mapledorum keeps his distance from her while she is having dinner, but while she's having the dessert course, he is deciding whether or not to take the riskiest of risks. He closes his eyes. Sure, he's thinking about the possibility of being exposed, but it's more about his nerves. He performs his own blind palm reading. Music director, please cue the chimes that sound like a fairy falling up the stairs. The answer from the master of puppetry returns with the following message. The future is sweaty. This is the first time he's felt the sensation. After all the tall buildings he scaled, okay, some of them only relatively tall, his nerves were always far from where their endings should anatomically be. But now his palms are tropical rainstorms of perspiration. He worries about slipping off the scaffolding and landing on her lap rather than lifting something from it. But our hero is a daring man. Holding on for mere life, he swoops down to the south and nips Miss Mississippi of the cloth close to her loins. She does not react. Both surprised and relieved, he retreats to his hidden apartment to taste what she'd been tasting. Maple Dorm lays out the napkin, but instead of licking it, He looks at it. In fact, he is staring curiously and ironically at the oddity in front of him. The white linen, instead of providing a spectrum of both colors and tastes, is a monochromatic spread of reds. There are splashes of wine and words drawn with lipstick. Written in wax is the following message. Happy birthday. I'll knock three times on the back door at midnight. Do let me in. We have much to discuss. I've been looking forward to sitting across from you again. M, M, M. Maple Dorham vibrates his lips. Mmm. Sure, this was a lot to ask of a small cylinder of lipstick, but it penned its marks without a smudge. Maple Dorham gets a bit French with his kissing, tasting both her wine and her wax. L'appetit v'en a Perhaps this is his appetizer. Mapledorm concludes his nightly act without a bow and waits for the arrows of time to point toward Corona Borealis, the northern crown constellation. He is feeling the magic of the events forthcoming. He undoubtedly believes his wish will be granted soon after the two hands join each other on the clock. The first sound from the door occurs at eleven fifty nine fifty nine p.m. She's a little early. Knock, stroke of midnight, knock, knock. January the 2nd, 2nd, 1932, St. James, New York. Maple Dorham watches Miss Mississippi walk in and take a seat at the bar. He climbs up behind it and sits opposite her. The mystic begins, How are you, my dear? Maple Dorham is just as mute as he was the first time they were in this position. It's not because his throat is dry, it's that he's never seen someone as beautiful with his own eyes. She asks again, Dear, how are you? Maple Dorm answers. I don't know. She says, Do you believe your wish will be granted and become true? Yes, I knew it from the beginning. Did you wish to be taller? No. Well, there's no time to waste, sugar. What did you wish for? I wish to be smaller, honey pie. Then do what it is you believe you should do, cupcake. All right, peaches, pucker up. Are you sure you want to do this? Have you considered the consequences, Buttercup? Yes, Pumpkin. Things are about to not change. Miss Mississippi thinks he misspoke, but grants him his retorts, calls them fine-line art, and purses her lips into a heart. Maple Dorm leaps across the bar and stands with his chin tilted toward Saturn. She leans down toward Earth. They kiss a sweet kiss with hues of Zinfandel and dusted with Zeppeli zest. Zeppeli Zest is Italian for sugar. The result is a planetary impact and quite the astral display, despite their distance to the nearest star. After their lips part, Mapledorm stretches out to the size of a tree represented by the first two syllables of his name. This is to say, he grows to the height too tall for the restaurant. His head climbs, or rather tears, through the indigo-shaded ceiling. The constellations reveal themselves in a cosmic and slightly comedic display. Maple Dorm is at a loss for words. Miss Mississippi is at a loss for an explanation. He sits down, now using the top of the bar as his seat. My, how the tables have turned. Miss Mississippi says, I thought you would have wished to be taller, but I didn't expect anything like this. Maple Dorm says, almost with satisfaction, despite feeling his internal organs still trying to catch up to their new home, I didn't think this would happen either. His voice is several octaves lower. The truth is, I wish to be smaller. Miss Mississippi is starting to see what he is saying. So you believed in what you wished for, on purpose? Not at first, exactly. In the moment, I was at a place in my life where I wanted it to end. I wanted to become an electron. I wanted to become matter that didn't matter. I also didn't believe you at first, I am sorry to say. Well, I'll try to veil my initial disappointment upon hearing that. I understand that taking a mystical woman wearing seven pairs of glasses seriously is quite the mental task. True, but when you told me to find beauty in rainbows, somehow I knew you were sincere. I adjusted my thinking. In that moment, I knew that your directive to not believe in the wish for it to come true was real. I also know that I'm the type of person who wants to believe in the magical so this was not a tall task at all. Maple Dorm chuckles at his accidental wordplay. Honestly, I didn't worry that I'd become smaller. I just thought that nothing would happen. Besides, it gave me a reason to kiss a beautiful woman for the first time. Oh, how romantically intuitive of you this is. But I have to ask you, have you ever wished to be taller? No. Miss Mississippi is surprised yet again. Maple Dorm continues, I dreamed of being taller. I wished to be smaller, there's a difference. She ponders what he said, I see. Well, of course you do, you're not wearing 14 pieces of glass in front of your eyes. Miss Mississippi grins a mile-wide smile. It's just an act, sweet pea. Everything in life is an act, an act of magic, if you give it any thought at all. That sounds quite cosmic of you to say, but I'm on the same page of the atlas. I figure that it stands to reason that because we are within the galaxy of milk, ways, and means, everything that occurs here is a cosmic event, one bestowed by an unseen and anonymous charity. The mystic adds, The real miracle of life is that we don't recognize that everything that's ever happened in life is a miracle. Mapledorm agrees. Even from my new perspective, I know that we're all small wonders. She lifts her chin up to him. Yes, both significant wonders and insignificant wonders at the same time. It's not that our local solar system doesn't have the time to honor our daily triumphs. It's that it has too much time. It hasn't recognized we are here at all. What's important is that we recognize each other. And with that, Maple Dorm leans down and kisses Miss Missy Mississippi right on her lippy, lippy, lippy for the second time. It caramelizes all the sugar on Long Island. After they part, he's a bit relieved that he didn't extend skyward any farther. Miss Mississippi's eyebrows lower in conjunction with her inquisitive tone. Do you really want to remain this tall? Maple Dorm laughs. It echoes in the restaurant and quakes the glassware. Of course not. She smiles back. Good. What do you mean by that? Because I have neck problems and... Mapledorm interjects. From wearing too many pairs of glasses? Well, it's certainly not the gloves. But as I was saying, if you can keep your big mouth shut for a second, I have neck problems and I'd like to kiss you again. And maybe a lot of agains after that. Mapledorm is blushing the roses on his cheeks blossoming to the size of two Valentine's Day bouquets. I guess dreams do come true. Miss Mississippi adds on, and maybe wishes too. Speaking of which, is there anything you can do about this, meaning in the near future? Instead of providing an answer, she starts to recite a spell. Her gesture is invoking the spirits from beyond. mapledorm's gaze is fixed on the contours and symmetry of her face. At the same time, He's wondering why it is she has chosen him. While writing in the air, this time with her finger ungloved, she says, Swix, Wavutz, Irk, Pon, Malik, Jig, Fed, Kabah. Mabel Dorn believes every nonsensical utterance. But is he supposed to? In his heart, which now has ten times the power of knowledge and capacity for love as it did before, the answer is yes. Miss Mississippi zips through the longest Z-word he's ever heard. Swix vavutz irk pon malik jig fedkaba. Then, in the reverse order as she did before, she points to the center of her ribcage and then to her lips. Mapledorm's finger, now the size of his former body, does the same. He realizes the spell began with how it ended the first time. Instead of the alphabet recited as one word, she recited it starting at the end. She recited the Omega bet. The word appeared in a mist, formed a cloud, and rained itself down in drops and dots. Should I do anything? She tells him, just wait. Is it going to be another two years? Miss Mississippi giggles out of her temporary trance. No, maybe another two minutes. Reversing a curse takes less time. You cursed me? No, I granted you a wish. Someone else cursed you before you were ever even born. Mapledorm considers what she is saying, but he's more interested in the present. But does that also reverse the love within the spell? Yes, but don't worry. Love is symmetrical and protected by the other letters, remember? Miss Mississippi shifts her rear end to the front end of the barstool. I know something is on your mind. You're wondering why it is I'm choosing you to lock lips with. Yes, I'm wondering, out of all the people on this blue sphere, why do you desire me? She continues, Ah, what's more interesting than why I chose you is why you chose that word. Desire is a word that should only be said in red. But to answer your question, it's because desire is irrational. And what of love? Is it also irrational? Yes, but only when it's rationally thought out. Love can be all the colors and all the letters, forward and backward. But love, simply for the sake of love, is just someone's idea for what will fill the frame they've crafted in their mind. He asks, the frame? Yes, the frame represents someone's expectations of what love should look like, but love is art. It's an erotic and faithful art charged with ionic question marks. It's an electric bolt that destroys your expectations. Show me a true artist who frames their art before it's finished, and I'll show you an unfulfilled lover. Maple asks her, So the full spectrum of love can only be sparked by the irrationality of desire? Yes, love is complex, at least the right kind is. The right kind is where desire is sustained. It's the only way the fire keeps burning. All fires will exhaust themselves without the infusion of sparks and oxygen. Even our sun will one day extinguish its own flames. He asks, sir, I assume the sparks are supplied by romantic thoughts, and oxygen is supplied by wonderful conversations? Yes, and yes and no. Conversations are fueled by curiosity, but they are spoken with carbon dioxide. Miss Mississippi pokes at him. Who was your science teacher? I had two, actually. A sword swallower and a snake charmer. I should have guessed that. The oxygen is supplied by the oceans. Oceans of emotions. Maple Dorm processes all of this. So the fire in a relationship is dependent on the influence of water, just like the way opposing charges create the strongest attractions? Yes, it's the most stable form of invisible connectivity. Desire is magnetic, ionic, and ironic. She pauses and smiles. Did the swordswallower teach you about ions? Mapledorm winks. She had a lot of trouble enunciating, so I'm not sure. Then he gets back on track. So to reiterate what's on my mind, why do you desire me? Well, that's easy. It's simply because it doesn't make sense. Mapledorum was hoping her answer would have included something about his handsome face and persistence in the presence of adversity, but he is content anyhow. He ultimately thinks it should be enough to know that someone loves you unconditionally, because if the love is indeed unconditional, no one needs to know the reason why. Both slowly and suddenly, Mapledorum shrinks to a height equal to Miss Mississippi. The only thing that remains the same size is his heart. His white linen suit bumps visibly in accordance to the double thumps within. They embrace, their tongues kissing in planetary orbits, before they both look up to the night sky through the tear in the indigo ceiling. Maple Dorham says, One thing the snake charmer taught me was that starlight is millions of years old, and that you'll never know how far your light will travel. That's the only science you'll ever need to learn. And the two lovebirds looked up to the past and wondered what their futures held. They knew that it at least held each other. They kept kissing until the sun came back around. According to the science taught by the snake charmer, Maple Dorm understands that Earth is the center of the universe. And in this moment, there's not a person that would disagree with him whether they are fearlessly irrational or tame and prudent. Perhaps it's instinctual, but Maple Dorham wants to climb all over her. Miss Mississippi wouldn't have been opposed to him roaming her mountainous regions, but everything was kept above the shoulders. It was all quite innocent. In the beginning, there was nothing more molten or passionate. Maple Dorm's focus lingered on Miss Mississippi's tongue. It's where she wears her best lingerie. Since this is his first trip to the mouth of France, he wants to savor the entire culinary experience. But with the finest and laciest linen on the menu now available to him, he has difficulty slowing down time. Mapledorum's only speed is lickety spit. Upon finding dashes of her deserted dessert, he isn't sure which is sweeter her lips or her last course. No matter the cause, his teeth hurt immensely. When Miss Mississippi sees him wince too often for her to pretend not to notice, she asks him to open his mouth. She tells him to keep his tongue from misbehaving. She whistles cool gusts of air over each pearly rainbow of citrine tinted ivory to see where the pain is originating. Mapledorm whines from molar to canine. Without magic as a medical option, he is acting like a small child. Miss Mississippi exclaims Oh honey pie we have to get you to an oral surgeon as soon as possible definition z y x w v u t s r q p o n m l k j i h g f e d c b a zwix wavut erk pon malik jig fedkaba. noun the revelation and protector of desire which is the only place where true love is found. Afterward, Beforeward, Down, and Way, Way Up We are always the same age inside. Gertrude Stein October 2022, East Setauket, New York On New Year's Day in 1982, a small wooden box was found hidden under the seat of a 1921 Ford Model T after it was purchased at an auction in Amityville, New York. In the box were the following items. One wine-stained linen napkin. Two miniature teacups with matching coasters. One miniature pitcher. Two ticket stubs dated September 22, 1925 to P.T. Barnum's Greatest Show on Earth. One dinner receipt marked paid for $2. One ten-volume set of four-by-five-inch books the contents of which have been carefully reproduced here, complete with any grammatical errors or inconsistencies contained in the original text. Note, the tenth and final book of the set contains two first-name signatures on the last page, Maple Dorum and Michelle. Missy is a common nickname for Michelle. Each has its own unique flair for the serif. The veracity and age of the signatures have been verified with carbon dating analysis. Without objection from their peer group of scientists. Also contained in the box, all of which were photographed and catalogued upon their discovery in 1982, are the oddities that have been the subject of much scorn from the anthropologists and pragmatists alike. Most established professionals categorize them as being part of a well performed hoax. However, some less traditional scientists stepped out of the box, as it were and claimed the contents therein were proof that time travel exists. Some members of the scientific establishment went so far as to call these dissenters sci-fientists. Other detractors claimed, in a rather clunky fashion, that they were practicing fake carbon dating. Continuing with the contents of the box, there was a map to the whereabouts of the quote, final resting places of Maple Dorm Trinket and Michelle, Mississippi. A search for the locations proved difficult because they were deemed both nonlinear and, at times, nonsensical. The reason for this was later discovered by an astute cartographer. The plural use of the word places was not a typographical error, as many first believed. It turned out to be the geographical clue that led to the discovery that the couple had been laid to rest on a series of circus trains, continuously moving through time and out of time. They are both still and in motion as you, dear reader, are learning of it. There were two one-way tickets, dated September 22, 2032, for travel on the P.T. Barnum Ferry, a vessel that crosses the Long Island Sound between Port Jefferson, New York, and Bridgeport, Connecticut. The tickets each have a photographic image of both seaports. While the Port Jefferson location has looked more or less the same for decades, The Bridgeport image presents a seaside skyline that doesn't exist yet. At the time of this printing, it has been verified in the city zoning records that development for a new harbor layout has been approved, and is in the design stage. The preliminary architectural renderings are eerily similar to that of the finished project pictured in the box of curiosities. One of these tickets has the name Nicoletta, followed by a streak of color. The other has the name Tris, followed by a streak of a different color. The fact is that both colors are so unusual, they defy the laws of the known and visible spectrum. This is by far the most compelling finding inside the box, as there is no scientific explanation for them, whether by traditional or avant-garde methods. Each color is, quote, named with one symbol or character. The symbol following Nicoletta's name resembles a scribbled in rectangle. After some typographic analysis, it turns out to be comprised of all of the letters of the alphabet superimposed upon one another. The symbol following Triss's name is the opposite, the edges of the rectangle only implied by speckled marks. This character is the absence of all of the letters superimposed one upon another. Finally, there was a greeting card dated January 1st, 1942. The inscription is as follows. Dearest Maple Dorham, happy birthday to the man with the biggest heart we've ever seen or heard. Please send our best to Miss Michelle as well. We've done our best in our travels as you've requested to let our imaginations grow beyond our limits and expectations. And for that, we thank you. We have found two, one hue for each one of you, supposedly. With darling love, Nicoletta and Tris. The end. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my novella. If you want to learn more about me or see other things that I've written, please go to my website at lewislasserthefourth.com. That's L-O-U-I-S. L A S S E R I V dot com. There you'll find my bookshop, social links, and everything else. Until next time, I'll see you later.